0: Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself? Or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor? Or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 Accumulation Index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the Spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker.
1: On Ticker, this is Spotty with Alio D'Amato.
2: Hello and welcome, folks, to Australia's Hour of Raw Investing Power. This is Spotty, streaming to you live in lockdown from Melbourne Town, from the Ticker Studios here in Glamorous Richmond. And for the next 60 minutes, we get to shine the spotlight on shares and answer your questions live on air. So how do you get to ask your questions? Well, a number of you have already figured it out because we've got a flood of them early on this morning. But if you uh, have any questions that come to mind during the show, you can text DEXTER. That number is 0480 Or, of course, you can email us on question at spotty.com.au. You will see these details appear at the bottom of the screen throughout the show. But, of course, as I always remind you, put it in your phone and that way it gives you quick, easy access. So you can ask our chief spotters your burning questions. Let's get into that, actually, uh, uh, right now. We'll start with our resident everywhere man. It's Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Uh, G'day, Scott. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, good afternoon, mate. I'm oh, exceptionally well, thank you. Uh, coming from lockdown here, not in Melbourne, but uh, at least the home office, mate. So trying to try to stay well, trying to keep on top of the earnings season. that's really starting to heat up.
2: It certainly is. Now, earnings season's very exciting, and no doubt a few questions about uh, that uh, will be uh, hitting our <laughs> yep. uh, our uh, email screens in a moment. Uh, look, Scott, for those living under a rock but uh, uh, and haven't heard of you before, be it on Breakfast TV or wherever it is you find yourself on your record-breaking podcasts and the like, Please tell us a little bit about yourself and more importantly, uh, the Motley Fool and how your Foolish Ones assist every single uh, uh, everyday investor that uh, subscribes to your services.
0: You're a kind man, Elio. So look, I'm the Chief Investment Officer of the Motley Fool. I've been here now for almost a decade um, and we are a business that basically tries to help individual investors find the best businesses they can on the ASX, find decent prices and beat the market. Now, so far, so good, I have to say. and. Touch wood, and as we are obliged to say, but also want to say, past performance is no guarantee. <laughs> so take that a <laughs> grain of salt, but we are doing our best to, to continue to beat the market with just really basic, honest, long-term investing advice and stock recommendations. It's kind of, it really is as simple as that. Um, now, not easy necessarily to find those companies, particularly at times like these. Uh, the monthly fund is a US-based company owned by its employees and its founders. Um, we've been around for 25 years in the States, 27 years in the States now, about a decade here in Australia. And I said, a, a pretty good track record. There's eight or nine investors here in the team, two new investors starting just this month, actually, um, and, and, a, and a decent back office team here as well. But the business owned in the US, more importantly, um, we are agnostic as to, uh, you know, which market we're in. We're just trying to find the best companies we can and help our members, subscription members, uh, get the best possible advice we can give them. So pretty straightforward, mate.
2: And you've been around for quite a while. So yes, whilst it's uh, no indicator of future performance, uh, your recommendations <laughs> or our performance, uh, you don't end up in the caper right. for as long as you have by accident and a bit more on that in a moment. Well, next we have actually a spotty debutant. So everyone, I want you to put your hands together and join me in welcome, uh, welcoming uh, Braddon Gardner from Trade Direct 365. G'day Braddon, how are you doing? Good,
1: Elio, how are you mate? Thanks yeah, for having me.
2: Very well, thank you. Now, I always love bringing new talent onto the show and especially our viewers very much value it. So. Just so they, uh, they're they all champing at the bit, I'm sure, to ask you questions, but just to give them a bit of guidance and direction as to the style of questions that you'll be uh, best uh, fit for purpose, as it were, tell us a little bit about Trade Direct 365 and then about yourself and your style of investing, and how you go about making your buying and selling decisions.
1: Okay. So for me, I started back in the industry, well, about 2001 um as a broker and then moved away from that about 2011 and started with the guy called davin clark so he's a professional trader and he's the one who started trade direct 365. Mm -hmm. so i've been working closely with him probably the last five years or so on trade direct and another company we do for alert services on um trade setup so we my style is really more of a momentum technical based style so i feel like i pretty much analyze anything on a technical basis Not the world's best at the fundamental analysis, but um, I do like to read bits and pieces and try to to get on top of that. Uh, But yeah, it's all based around the uh, momentum plays. We're looking for particular setups. We're looking for particular um, entries and then just sort of riding it from a technical basis.
2: And uh, don't worry about that, Brad, and that's why we bought Scott on today (laughs) because he is the best, so don't you uh, stress about that. I don't leave my new guys hanging on a branch. Don't worry, mate, we've uh, got you covered. (laughs) There, but folks, we're locked and loaded, we're ready to go. So, all we need now are your questions. So, send them through. Of course, a timely reminder that before we start, I have to tell you that um, all the information in today's program is of a general nature only, it doesn't take into account your objectives, financial situations, or needs. And therefore, should you decide to act on any of it, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Yes, past performance is no indicator of future performance. Uh, And if you do wish to speak to anyone other than your significant other in life about any of the content from today's show, then you still must do so with a licensed financial advisor. And for the next hour, Spotty is powered by our sponsors, ShareWealth Systems. And since 1995, they've been helping investors protect and grow their share portfolio with a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can be the tortoise and win the race, of investing life, then please go to their website, sharewealthsystems.com, and be sure to read all the relevant information before making any investment decision. Now, as we go to air, uh, just having a quick look at the market. Uh, markets up again strongly today. Uh, the All Ordinary's up 0.8%, the XJO up 0.87%. Uh, so it looks like the large cap's doing much of the heavy lifting today, but let's get into the questions. And Scott, I'm gonna hit you with this one up first. It came on the text machine from Slick Rick um yeah that's right that wasn't his twitter handle uh, scott he actually sent the text <laughs> message as slick rick um he uh, wants to know our view in regards to pni pinnacle investments um now they've just released their result of course uh, recently in market and he's just wanting our view in regards to what we think um of the business so uh pni a wealth manager what's your view on the uh, company scott
0: yeah Elio and, and slick rick uh good question this is a business, of course, that was originally the Wilson Group. So for mm. those who don't, re- don't know the name Pinnacle or maybe it's, it's new to them, this is the old Wilson Group, just rebranded. Look, I've got to say, you know, good basic fundamental business. The challenge for me is that the growth, though you, re- you mentioned the most recent results, Leo, they were mm. kind of very middle single-digit growth numbers up 5 and 6%, which is very, very good and very decent in the market that we're in right now. The problem, unfortunately, is this is a 30 times PE stock. Now, if you're getting something that's growing at, you know, four, five, 6%, great. If you're paying 30 times for it, then someone's (laughs) got to square that circle for me. Either we're gonna have much stronger and better growth down the track, and hopefully sooner rather than later, or the share price is gonna come down, or if you're really lucky, the share price stays high just because sentiment keeps it high. But from a fundamental basis, and we talked about that at the beginning of the program, this is one that I really struggle to square this particular circle. As I said, if you have a view that this business is gonna get or, you know, be great and get even better and somehow grow into that multiple, then great. For a business that probably otherwise only deserves a multiple in the mid teens, maybe high teens, if you're really generous on a quality perspective, um, that makes it a pretty pricey stock to buy. So as I said, you've either got to believe that investors will keep paying above the odds for this company or, that the growth will start coming good and come good really quickly and it might if we get asset price recovery for example or decent inflows of funds those are reasons how and why we can get growth in fund managers and they can absolutely outpace the rest of the market so this can be one of those scenarios where you buy a high pe stock at a depth and then you know, a bit like miners. You know, the odd story of your, your cyclicals. You buy them at a high PE at the bottom of the cycle because you pick up the recovery on the way through. Maybe that's the thesis here, but you've got to believe these guys can retain and then attract much, much more new capital and go on to deliver market beating returns to really boost that top and bottom line growth. So it's a it's a conviction play. I think it's too expensive. I think there are better ideas out there, and if you're trying to find that play, I think there are better leverage ways to play that. Um, but I don't think pinnacle's worth the dollars at the current price again great business just don't pay too much for it
2: well and the dividend i think was uh, flat on last year and come on scott let's face it as diy investors we're slaughtering all the fund managers at the moment so why on earth would you want to invest in one when you can do it better yourself it- I know you wouldn't say that, mate. I can now because I'm not aligned to anyone. Uh, Braddon, <laughs> um, I think I'll uh, go to you with this one. And as I alluded to yesterday, uh, we, there have been a number of questions we haven't had the time to get through. So I will sprinkle them through the sessions and remember to watch um, for at the bottom of the um, recordings, uh, you'll see all the stocks that are discussed in every episode. So you'll see if we've been able to attend to your question, even if we weren't able to attend it on the day that you asked it. Uh, the next one uh, comes from Jamie Braddon. Now, he asks about Oklo Resources. Their code is OKU. Now, they're a gold miner you. in Mali. Uh, Danduku is the uh, main mine that they're going there with. And he just basically wants our view in regards to the, um, the business. So, one, if you can tell us what that chart's looking for, looking like for OKU and possibly then no. throw in your general view in regards to gold, uh, the price of gold yep. at the moment, because obviously cracking the 2,000 mark, sticking above there, is it likely to keep going higher or uh, are we going to tread sideways till we get a catalyst either way?
1: No, right. So, firstly, we're kicking off with OKU. Mm. Um, for me... It's it's come off quite nicely. Where it's um it's rallied off that well 10 cent level I think it was about 10 cents, and that was back in what was that end of coming into end of uh, last year, and it's rallied up. Obviously it had a bit of a pullback during March, the big sell off. But it's been quite strong since, and it's got momentum in the sales. What looks of it, um the levels for me, what I'd like to see the the key level for me at the moment is at 25 and a half cents. That's sort of anchoring that trend up, and that looks quite good from here. And it looks like if that holds up. I would like to see 29 cents. I don't mind if it has a bit of a pullback consolidates around that zone, that would be nice. So that would, for me, that would give a nice little entry where I could jump in, I know where my risk is gonna be and I could see if I can target through 37.5 cents, looking to go through that 48, because it's still, you know, the, the momentum off that 10 cent level or 11 cent level is quite strong. It is getting a bit extended, you gotta worry about that. But um, as long as you know where your risk is, that's what i would be looking at for that. Now, looking at across the gold, let me just grab a chart of that. Everyone knows that. To me, that's looking from a daily perspective, and even on a weekly perspective, it's well and truly extended. So my concern is it's got through the highs at mm. was about nineteen twenty, and it's due for a bit of a pullback just to get some heat out of that. I think longer term, it still looks really good. I mean, everyone loves gold. It's um, technically it's you know it's in a really strong uptrend, but I wouldn't mind just seeing some heat come out of that before I look for entries on you know physical gold itself. And if they can support some entries into the shares, that would be great.
2: Okay, so obviously, you know, it's uh, been on a lot of people's radars and the slight pullback yeah. uh, just recently, a bit of steam has uh, just got a few people wondering whether it is teetering. But of course, you know, these things don't ever move in straight lines. They do have those uh, periods of slight pullbacks and that's necessary to take some steam out. Uh, look, uh, Scott, I'll go to you now. Peter has emailed us a doctoral dissertation, but I'm going to surmise it into a very small amount of time here, Scott, so bear with me. In essence, he wants to know, is the buy now, pay later st- uh, space or bulldust? And he points to a few <laughs> little things. Obviously, he mentions, you know, Afterpay and Zip and what's been going there and the fear of missing out. But he also points to somewhere like overseas where you've got Klarna, uh, the major player over there, who CBA have aligned with uh, with a small investment themselves. Overseas, they've got 85 million customers, very large amount of revenue. They're growing their US and UK markets by... You know, something like three hundred and fifty percent and one hundred and twenty five percent, outpacing after pay at the moment, which of course is the you know, the big global story here in that whole area. He wants to know is it all just smoke and mirrors? And then do we have a preferred? His and he's let us know is Flexi Group FXL, which is a stock we've talked about here before. So let's bundle up buy now pay later and Flexi Group. What's your views there, Scott?
0: man so this is a massive topic elio and i've got to say look i'm in two minds to some degree even if there are bigger better players overseas this can have echoes of the infant formula market now stick with me as i make the analogy because there's been every man and his dog has launched an infant formula company most of them have done well in australia most of them have done well around the world particularly in china but also around the rest of asia and north america so to some degree just because there are large formula players elsewhere doesn't mean a couple of small upsides in australia can a, be successful and B, all be successful at the same time to have really low bases, right? If you're building a, a multi-million dollar than a multi-billion dollar, hopefully, revenue business, um, you can kind of do that from a pretty really small base in Australia mm. if you get it right. The flip side, of course, is that in plenty of industries before where Australian hopefuls haven't managed to survive. They can thrive for a little bit of time, but do they survive? And so if you're asking as a long-term investor, how am I looking at these stocks? I think that's the, the basis of the question i think there's a couple of things to, to a couple of ways to do it firstly i think buy now pay later as a concept is here to stay right lay buy isn't new delayed payment ie credit isn't new The credit cards aren't new even flexi grip i saw an ad in, it reminded me actually yesterday morning look at the at the newspaper harvey norman with their 50 months interest free i mean that's effectively buy now pay later right so mm. the, the kind of the explosion of this isn't new after he's done a spectacular job of becoming a viable alternative payment method to the big guys, you know, bank card couldn't survive in the face of Visa, Mastercard, Amex. Diners also went by the wayside. Afterpay to actually find a place alongside those is no small victory. It's a fantastic success now. So, a, I, I, buy now pay is here to stay. B, I can't see why if you're a big payment provider, you your Visa, your Mastercard, your Amex, you're a big bank, why are you going to let someone else be the middleman yeah. between you and your customer? In a way, you don't have to. So, I expect over the long term, most of our payments, including everything like petrol gas electricity uh clothes you know pick it will be paid this way by definition just because that's what we've become used to doing right we're already paying the subscription as a service this is kind of somewhere in between up front and every month it's you know pay off your purchase over a number of periods i think that'll become the norm what i worry about a little bit is i don't know there's an obvious reason why just because it was born in australia just because it started here why the rest of the world isn't going to Potentially swamp these guys as I said bank card is the salutary lesson it was the first and only credit card in Australia for a little while now it's no longer with us and it's a, a fond memory for those of us with a little less hair than others um, <laughs> because that's the scenario that we're in. right at some point you get overtaken now can you make could you have made some money from 1970 something to 1990 something on bank card probably yeah so again just because the long term might be against the locals being successful around Australia, around the world, doesn't mean there can't be a lot of money made in the meantime, and you can possibly get off the train as things start to slow down. What I would say is Afterpay is now one fifth the market cap of Amex. Let that sink in for a second, right? Amex, the global multi-century, you know, credit provider payment system, only worth five times afterpay that actually should be a little bit worrying for afterpay shareholders because amex is not exactly new it's not exactly unproven it's not exactly trying to find a place for itself in the market now afterpay may well blow past amex and become the amex of the 21st century but i have to say if you're an investor who's frankly already made some money then good on you but if you can if you can reliably say i'd rather pay x for afterpay rather than 5x for amex I think that a really aggressive approach to take. I'd be taking money off the table, not because they can't go on to do good things, but if you look at the risk and reward based on what I've just talked about, it does seem to me the tide is almost all the way in, and I'd be, I'd be, you know, look again. If you made gains, you've done spectacularly well since March. Good on you. But remember, these things can go down as fast as they can go up. I'd be taking money off the table.
2: All right. So then, Flexi Group is an option, uh, much more the type of stock you know we're usually used to. It's profitable. It's paying a reasonable dividend. Uh, it has its hum. <laughs> business, which it uh, right. is, it's buy now, pay later option. Is that a, uh, a stock that's uh, on your radar, uh, Scott?
0: It's a fascinating one, mate. So the, this used to be the radio rentals business. They actually closed all those stores, right? So it is literally now just effectively a consumer credit provider. Um, bits and pieces left over, but but essentially that's what it does. It's on the radar, yes. Um, and it is funny to your point, these guys do exactly what Afterpay does, but you are probably getting it for one 100th of the price. So you ask yourself, hang on, is, is Afterpay really that much better? maybe it is actually because the challenge for flex group is it's already got its customer base already got a certain size it's got to show us it's got to show the market it can grow in that new economy digital native you know gen z kind of way and i don't Mm. mean those as flippant throwaways i mean those are serious issues right afterpay's great success was yes it's tech of course but again as i said flexi's been doing that with harvey norman for 20 years you know you i I could have bought a couch from 20 years ago using a buy now pay later of over 24 48 months um, this is not new. What's new is Ar- is ArthPay has put itself on people's phones and people's pockets. Flexi hasn't yet caught up to that. So I, I worry a little bit about Flexi Group as much as so I worry about Afterpay, but for the different reason, which is Flexi isn't worth all that much. So it's a cheaper option, a profitable option. Maybe it is a safer option, but you're probably not going to get a heap of growth out of it until it can show that it's getting not just retailers on board, because Flexi was always super strong on retail. It signed up every retailer and their dog, but if you went to the retailer then said, hey, Harvey Norman, can I have a good deal? They said, yeah, we've got this Flexi Group product. You can have it. This time Afterpay is saying, hey, get my app first and only shop in those stores that accept my payment method. So it's going via the consumer rather than the retailer. That's where Buy Now Pay Later gets one. And Flexi Group's got to demonstrate that it can convince consumers to prefer its option not just get the retailers on board because if i'm a retailer i'm going to give them every possible payment method i can find you can have amex mastercard visa um you know afterpay zip pay open pay hum bumble i don't care what you can use anything in my store i don't care what you use as long as you buy my stuff but you can even use cash um remember that so you no. know uh, that that's that's the situation we find ourselves in right now i don't mind Flexi's is a much lower risk option just be careful how much you pay for it because if they can't make hum land Flexi's running out of legs to stand on. It's already out of its commercial leasing business. It's out of its you know, radio rental stores. If it can't make go of consumer leasing at some point, it may well fall under its own weight.
2: Well, that's the, uh, yeah, but the solution is, Scott, seriously, just ditch the Flexi Group name and call yourself Hum, and I think once they <laughs> cut themselves from the old business, they'll probably double it overnight without much changing. It's, a you know, an interesting beast, this market. But, look, Braddon, I, I can't let listen, you go mate, without having a comment on Afterpay because... everyone's been talking about it for the last two years. Its price has gone on an amazing tear and everyone wants to know, can it keep going? So what sort of key levels (sighs) would you be watching for APT from here on in?
1: Yeah, look, for me, I mean, technically anything can get going. You never know what's going to happen. I, I, I kind of agree. I think it's well and truly stretched. I mean, if you haven't got it, you're probably not going to get into it. That's my theory. I think, um, for me, everything's about momentum. and you, To keep momentum going, you need those continuing new people to jump into the market to, to buy it up for you. I mean, if you buy it here, you need someone to be following you from behind to keep buying it up for you so it's, um, the price can crack into new highs. Mm. For me, if I was looking at I mean, technically, yeah, it could hold up here. And if it starts to break up through that 72.50 zone, you might nibble at it. And my risk would sort of be somewhere around the 65 mark um, at this stage. but. Again, like you said, you're sort of buying into something that everyone knows about and everyone's jumped on board and there's a good chance that you could be buying to someone that's going to sell it to you with a, bit a load more than you're buying. So that's the biggest problem at the moment. Sooner or later, if you want to book some gains, um, you're going to have to sell. And if there's a wave of selling comes through, I think that could easily smash down through 65 and really start that ball rolling on the downside. But yet at the moment, it's still holding up nicely. It's still there. It's still everyone's favourite. So yeah, we'll see how that goes.
2: All right, then. Well, let's talk about one that has had, unfortunately, a bit of a pullback today, Brad, and it's Mesoblast MSB. The question comes from Michael. He's seen its pullback today. When I last looked at it, it was down some 20%. They'd received some word from the FDA, uh, a draft commentary in regards to its Rema Stem Cell product that it's looking to get approval for in the US uh, to treat uh, cancers. Question marks around the whole... um, Veracity of the uh, the testing process that they've gone through, which is uh, never a good sign. Uh, you don't need to be a you know a PhD in science to figure that one out. It's um, uh, pretty much not good. The market has obviously cottoned onto it. It's been a trader's favourite for a very long time, almost a trader's stock that just grew up. Um, it cracked the uh, four odd dollar mark, was going on a very strong tear, but it sort of had the wind taken out of its sails today. So when you see price action uh, like this, when it comes to stocks, Braden. What sort of um, thing are you thinking about? You know, it's a big gap down day. You know, what's the sort of stuff that investors who are in it at the moment should be watching out for?
1: Uh, For me, we actually had that up until um, early hours this morning when it opened up. So it was looking good and it did, you know, it was going really well. And that was one that I was going to suggest as a potential buy. I think longer term, it looks great up until Mm -hmm. this morning. So when you see that kind of action, when it gaps down, Gapping down is not the world's biggest problem, but it can be if it just continues and that's showing me that sellers are not willing to hold it and they're starting to bail on it and they're just starting to throw in the towel. Now, it doesn't mean, if you go back to that weekly chart, if I'm looking at that weekly, that 450 mark was kind of a key. It popped up there, let me just check, it was somewhere in April, so the 27th of April around that week, popped up there, reacted off the 450 and started building again and building up quite nicely got through it I think last week and then again this week and then it's just completely failed today. So to me, if I was a longer term investor, I'd be concerned if it starts to head down to that $3 level, uh, 3 mark. It starts to push through there because then you know that the weight of numbers is on the sell side. You don't really want to hold it. I mean, for me, I prefer a stock like this. If something like this happened, I'd rather be out on the sidelines reassessing it. I mean, you can always get in again later on if it starts to set up and it starts to work through its problems. But for now, you don't want to be part of the herd just holding it and, you know, when it starts to crack through, for example, if it does, and then hoping that it's going to come back for you. So, um, yeah, I think it's got a few issues from today's action.
2: Yeah, it'll just need that to settle down and possibly wait till the dust settles before making any uh, uh, decision. But it doesn't change, I suppose, for those that have believed in the stem cell technology that it uses. Um, and, that you know, that, that that still remains the same. And obviously, these sort of setbacks do occur from time to time, but again, it's all about the reason why you got in, your appetite for risk um, and uh, yeah, what yeah, do you believe yeah. the longer term prospects for the stock will be. Um, I will go to you now if I can, Scott. Um, Helen has emailed us, question at spotty.com.au, and she wants our opinion on two online bet companies, uh, Betmakers, which the code there is BET, and PointsBet, PBH um now obviously points bet has been quite aggressive in regards to its you know advertising campaigns further to that it's been signing some new agreements particularly in the us and even in the e-gaming space uh which you know for uh, people of my ilk and your generation uh, scott can't understand why the hell people would watch that but there you go um but betmakers tends to be a little bit more stable and provides the back-end support to a lot of these uh, online applications so do you have a view either way on uh, bet or um, or PPH?
0: Yeah, really good question, Elliot. I, I, yeah, mate, I'm with you. I, I don't understand esports at all. Literally, don't understand. <laughs> it. That being said, someone said to me, a younger person the other day, "So you don't want to watch me? You know, you think I, I'm strange watching people play games? You said watch someone playing football. It's kind of the same thing." And I have to say, it made me uncomfortable because I think they're probably right. That being said, I still don't get it, so I'm, no. I'm not going to be I'm not going to be a customer. But I won't. I won't slag it off too badly. Look, <laughs> I, here's the thing. Points bet is probably the, the the bigger range of outcomes, right? So if you're a risk-seeking investor, risk-tolerant investor, if you're someone who wants to make some bets, <laughs> uh-huh, um, uh-huh. then you want to go towards something like a points bet because it has really, really significant potential upside. If some of that US deals, go ahead. The US states are legalizing sports betting. Points bet is really pushing hard into that market. If the, the, the kind of, you know, the dominoes line up, if the dice go its way, uh, choose your betting analogy. Um, then you're gonna do really, really well with Points Bet. Now, the flip side is investors are already expecting a lot, and so if things don't go points bet's way. There's also a big downside. So I want I want our viewers to be really mindful of both of those potential outcomes. But if you want to take a bit of a risk, then points bet is absolutely the better play. Now, on the flip side, as you said, you know, bedmakers is is the is the picks and shovels play. The old, you know, the old analogy of you know, you, you didn't make money mining gold, you made money selling the picks mm. and the shovels the miners themselves that's where the money was made during the gold rush that's what betmakers is betting on again apologies for the terrible puns and even the unintentional ones um th- there is there is really some potential there i i do think though at the moment there's no clear sign that these guys are going towards a common back-end provider and what you want to be careful with betmakers is this is going to go one of two ways either the bookies with the best tech are going to win in which case you're not gonna win holding up the play, you know, provider of a generic piece of betting software, right? So if, if, if technology is the d- differentiator, then the company's gonna create their own and bet makers are gonna really struggle. If though the tech itself becomes simply generic and the success is made with marketing or with the actual odds placing itself or the odds uh, calculating itself, if the if the literally the bookies, the guys who actually set the odds, frame the odds, if they're the differentiator, then you may win because companies will quickly say, I'm not gonna waste money on developing my own tech I'll happily buy something off the shelf and then make all my investments in marketing or in the odds making. So, I don't know the answer to that right now, but that is the future I think for betmakers. It's one of those two directions. As you see things unfold, either way, that'll give you a sense of how good or bad this deal is. I think I do prefer points bet mate simply because it seems to be the more uh, has has more not 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 share price momentum. That's Braden's area, but but business momentum, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that free option if you are seeking a better risk I don't own it and I haven't recommended it but if you're in that space and you some you're prepared to take a little bit of risk I think points bet is probably the better idea but bear in mind you could lose a lot of money if things don't go your way this could be one of those gunner companies in three or five years time so be really really careful of that but again bet makers either will thrive because it becomes the de facto standard or it too will fall by the wayside because the bookmakers don't adopt generic tech and they keep building their own in-house.
2: Yeah, well, we'll come to uh, your preferred sort of picks in a moment as you uh, help us see the light uh, uh, very shortly. But before we do, just a quick one uh, for Brad. And the question comes from Greg. Uh, 3DP or Pointera is a company that came uh, up on this show uh, uh, some time ago. I think it was Simon Bond that had it as one of his stocks to see the light mm-hmm. on. He did so because uh, Bevan Slattery joined the uh, board with a big investment into the company. And of course, everyone likes to back the jockey again, keep the uh, uh, gambling puns going. Um, And obviously it's had a big spike um, in the back of that. And Bevan's got a good track record in getting companies and commercializing them and turning them into monoliths. So 3DP price action had a big jump and it looks like it's actually sticking around these levels. It's not just casually retracing back. So Braddon, 3DP, any uh, words of advice you can give Greg there?
1: Yeah, well, to me, I, I kind of agree with you. It's gone through, there's a level around a 17.5 cents, 7.5 cent mark, and um, it's looking really nice. It's started to kick off that level, probably got through there around, well, the 22nd or so. It really pushed through it, and the good thing is it's it's pulled back and it's held with a bit of volume, which is always good to see. So when you see something like that and it starts to take off again, to me, that's a good, you know, good sign that it's going to see higher prices. So... The fact that it's it's held above that 17, seventeen, seven and a half zone and stuck, like you said, it you know it's got momentum on its side. It's got some good volume that's come in with the you know the break up was way back on about the fourteenth of July, so you can see that there's some buyers starting to come in. So if they start to support it, we get higher prices. Uh, that's what I'll be looking for. I mean, to me, to get in, all I want to do is sort of analyze my risk. If we have a bit of a pullback, consolidate somewhere, you know, it could be a few days. We're in the twenty-one and a half cent mark. I know where my risk is going to be. You break through the highs and just continue on with that momentum that would be nice so it looks good
2: yeah and obviously it's uh, sort of visualization services all involved in the software or the the acronym that we're all learning software as a service or sas as it's known (laughs) it's got all those sexy terms behind it and now a a sexy big investor in there well sexy in the sense of he's he's not the best looking job yeah, you know, I think even Scott's better looking than him. But, um, but, you know, in terms of uh, putting his money where his mouth, it's nice. definitely where they want to go. Oh, that's okay, Scott and I are like an old husband and wife. But uh, speaking of which, you're going to help us uh, see the light now, uh, Scott, on two stocks uh, at the moment that, uh, you know, investors can, you know, listen to you, listen to your arguments and then go off and uh, do a little bit of further research in ourselves. So what are your two companies there?
0: And the first one made is actually continuing the betting theme, which was kind of a nice, a nice step off, and I, I, tried to dance around a little bit to make sure I had it left over when we, when we talked about seeing the light. <laughs> the first one is Jumbo Interactive. Yeah, now, going to be that, speaking, yep. of, speaking of both the business itself and it's so it's, it's two parts. It's a reseller of, of lottery products from Tabcorp around most of Australia. It's recently had to take a haircut on the margin it made. But in return, it signed an extended ten-year contract. Now, there's going to be a lot of money made at online gambling over the next ten years, and a decent chunk of that is going to be in lottery services, largely because, ironically, with, when there's a lot of bookies in the odds-making business, the odds get thinner and thinner. In this case, effectively, Tabcorp's got a uh, you know got a monopoly provision, and as its as its reseller, Jumbo's effectively got all but a monopoly position other than Tabcorp's own websites. That's a pretty good place to be, and a pretty good protection now that the, the, the loss of margin wasn't spectacular, but it was great to see that 10 year deal done because one of the big yeah. risks to the thesis was over the next three years, they may well have lost that business altogether or had meaningfully reduced terms. So the extra certainty is great. If you think about what we've been through over the last three to five months in terms of lockdown, not only has it, and it, has, it doesn't create trends, but it accelerates those trends. One of them was already more and more of us are buying lottery tickets online If you fast forward through the five months of lockdown, online internet commerce is something like doubled over that five months in the US. I'm sure it's the same here. So imagine that Jumbo hasn't benefited at all from that. Would be, I think, a reasonably conservative, very conservative, almost pessimistic perspective. I think it will continue to benefit from the growth of online lottery purchases. Again, Tabcorp gets some of that. Jumbo gets some of that. Both of them together, I think, will do very, very well sending a lot of tickets online. Jumbo is really cheap. Now, on top of that, it does have a free option, and we're back to the betmaker story, where it's actually trying to provide a thing it calls Lotto as a service, right? Now, again, let, let's let's throw the as a service stuff out the that window. That's all marketing jargon, but effectively, just as betmakers is trying to power online bookies, Jumbo is trying to sell, particularly overseas, its engine to create and sell Lotto tickets. Now, if that catches on, the world is literally its oyster. Now, it's not a one percent of China story. I'm not saying you should buy it because of that. I'm actually saying the reverse: buy it for its core business. But that online overseas bit is effectively a free option. You're paying almost nothing for it. In fact, I think Jumbo is attractive at the current business, the current price, even if it shuts that business down. On its current mm. business alone, it's cheap. If you add the optionality of that, which you're getting for nothing, that's a pretty good free ticket. So again, if to, again, just like to tell you a lot of analogies, there may well be a jackpot at the end of the rainbow, uh, but if there's not, you still won't need that to be successful with a, with a play on Jumbo. So Jumbo Interactive, J-I-N is the code. I think it's a really, really attractive long-term play. We're not going to stop gambling. We're going to keep shopping and buying online. Jumbo stands to benefit from both of those, plus the overseas potential. It's a, it's a good buy for me.
2: And your other stock, you're going to help us uh, see light on one more? Do my best, mate. So the other one, it will stay in the
0: tech space. This is a bit of a, I'll say it's a boring one, but it's a boring but necessary one or a boring but important one. And that's the NASDAQ 100 ETF by BetaShares. The code is NDQ. Now, generally speaking, I'm a stocks guy rather than an ETF or an LIC kind of guy, and you'd expect that, right? I think we can do well picking stocks to beat the market. That being said, if you're an ASX-based investor and you're not picking stocks directly in the US, the NASDAQ 100 ETF gives you with one click, one trade, access to the 100 biggest non-financial businesses on the NASDAQ exchange, which is the big tech exchange in the US. The roll call is huge. Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, uh, MongoDB, Mercado Libre. Literally, you know, if you if you if you can if you can pick a if you can name an international tech company, there's a very 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 good chance it's on the Nasdaq. Yeah. I think that'll continue really really well for investors over the absolute long term. This is about as close to a bottom draw ETF as you can find. These companies are literally, as I've said before, inventing the future. Feels like a marketing tagline, and it kind of is, except it's true. Um, you know, think about what Amazon or Netflix or Apple are going to do in the future. We don't even know what they're going to do, let alone how they're going to do it. But it's a very, pretty fair bet that if they don't. The company that does do it is, guess what, going to be listed on the NASDAQ. And so you're getting both of those opportunities from here in Australia. The dollar's at a reasonable level. These companies are super exciting. They are literally building growth for decades to come, I think. I think the NASDAQ is going the ASX over time. And so if you're an investor who doesn't have direct international exposure, the NASDAQ ETF is one I would absolutely be putting in every portfolio.
2: Okay, then. So that brings us to the halfway mark, folks. So remember, send your questions through to question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480079089. And just a reminder, of course, of our wonderful sponsors, Sharewell Systems. And if you've taken the chance to look at their new website, uh, you know, you'll see their key message there in regards to the idea of, you know, focusing on your investment process in order to be a uh, successful investor over the long run. That's why it's a marathon and not a sprint. Like many speculators may be telling you, at the moment. So we have to be like the tortoise in order to win the race of investing life, something that Share Wealth Systems has been doing now for some twenty-five years. Visit ShareWealthSystems.com, have a look at all that content that's there. And remember, they are a proud holder of a financial services license. However, should you wish to talk to someone about shares on a personal level, then you still need to do so with a licensed advisor. Um, who can uh, do so. Uh, therefore, read that information carefully. But remember, yes, whilst past performance is no indicator of future performance, you don't end up in this caper for over two decades by accident. Luck is not a long-term investment strategy. As we uh, go to where uh, currently the market's uh, up uh, still quite uh, strongly, uh, up over 1% now at the moment. So we're continuing on its merry way. Let's get back to some questions. We're going to power through our second half Um, Of the show. Um, I'm going to go to Braddon with this one here. Uh, This was a question actually that came from uh, Dean who asked it uh, uh, earlier. Anti Sense Therapeutics, um, ANP, working on a cure for MD. Its um, price, uh, yes, pulled back like everything else did in March, then had a very strong, rapid uh, run back up to those previous highs, but it seems to have found a bit of resistance and come back a bit. So Dean's probably wondering. Um, you know, can momentum return to this stock and what sort of levels he should be looking for?
1: Yeah, looking at it, um, look at it now, I've just got up on the screen, It's it has, like you said, it has had a good run-up. It's about from that $0.06 cent mark, it's sort of powered up to $0.12. Cents. And that was after that gap up. And then it's, it's held that, which is a really good sign. It's a good sign from, um, you know, buyer's point of view. It started to lift. It did fall away, which is a natural area to take some profits. I mean, if you're sitting around you bought it at $0.07, it's popped up to 12 and it starts to fade a bit, you're probably going to lock in some gains at the very least. Now the way I'm looking at it, the momentum is just sort of falling off, but it's the way I view things is so I've got the MACD and my little indicators. It's in a prime position. If it can hold this area and start to consolidate there, so we'll start to see if anyone was actually looking to sell it. They were looking to pull the pin at the moment or they're looking to just, okay, let's just see if we can hold it through this zone around, so it's around the $0.08 mark. If you can hold there, it can chop around a little bit, but within a tight narrow range and it can start to lift. And if you start to see that volume increase as well, I think this would be the move that can easily take it up through $0.12 because I think if it starts to head up there off this low, it's going to create a bit of euphoria. People are going to see that and go, I want to jump on board, especially if you've missed it a few times. Uh, and see if it can pop up through that level at 12 and get into new highs. So once it gets into new highs, then you know, it's on for young and old, really.
2: Yeah, well, and uh, that'll be the key where, where that next movement goes and um, how strong that actually is. Um, Greg actually sent through a follow-up question, um, Scott, on Goodman Group, Code GMG. Um, the reason why this is interesting is he wants to know our view as to what could possibly happen with its report. Of course, the magic number this earnings season for uh, real estate trust has been 105 That's the number that all of them seem to have revalued their asset base down. Um, It just seems to be a common number. I don't know whether there's any signs behind it. It just seems to be a coincidence, possibly, that it's always the same. So Goodman Group, GMG, your view on it, Scott, leading into its reports?
0: Yeah, look, property is going to be a really fascinating one over the next six to 12 months, Elio, and probably well and truly after that, because we're all trying to work out how meaningfully our lives change, even once things get back to some version of normal post-COVID, right? And and either post-COVID or living with COVID, depending on which way you want to take that future. How many of us still go to the shops? How many of us still work in offices? The answer, of course, is some. Maybe it's even most. But as you know well, Elio, you only need a two or three or four percent fall in, for example, retail sales. Put entire retail chains out of business. These are really, really fickle operations. You don't need that many people to stop going to your store and you go from being in ready good health to effectively having to shut the door and put the padlock on it. Now, if that happens, that hurts retail um, landlords. And that's why we're seeing a lot of those center group, for example, as you've already mentioned, down 10% earlier this month. That's that's the kind of the concern for investors. How long does this last? How bad does it get? And I think more importantly for long-term investors, how long does it take to recover? Does it recover at all? And if so, by how much? We're seeing Atlassian, Twitter, uh, plenty of others saying they start to work from home forever. Shopify. Um, now, if you're working home from ever, forever, but businesses aren't going to keep empty floors of just in case the guys come to work office space. That's going to go really quickly. So, commercial office space also a risk. The probably the, the least risky, I think, right now is actually that commercial warehouse, big box, bulky goods, retail space. Mm. Because that's the one least likely to be impacted. In fact, may even be helped by the transition to be more people buying more stuff online. We're seeing Kogan release sales up more than 100% again in the most recently completed month. I own shares for full disclosure. Um, you know, those things have been just phenomenal growth. Temple and Webster the same. Uh, JB Hi-Fi's online sales. Nick Scarley is doing really, really well. So it's, it's going to be those big box kind of bulky goods, warehouses, DCs, that are going to, I think, weather the storm better than anybody else. The question on Goodman, of course, it's a bit of a jack of all trades to some degree. It's kind of got fingers in different pies and it really comes down to how badly things get affected. I've got to say, right now, I don't think I'd want to be in any particular property um, play right now. I just, I don't think it's worth being in that space. If I'm wrong, mm. then I'm wrong. If I'm right, then you're going to avoid a whole heap of pain, particularly, as I said, I'm far more worried about retail and commercial than I am the industrial and, and, and warehouse big box. Uh, but just be really, really careful at how that works. Uh, we're gonna see plenty of retails go out of business, rents will fall, occupancy rates will fall. Um, it's not a good place to be, I don't think, across the board. So I would not be in Goodman right now, if I'm wrong and if the numbers either recover more quickly or simply are more resilient, you have got plenty of opportunity to jump in for the long term. But if you're an investor and your job is to find the best ideas you can, I just don't see even at depressed prices even with that kind of heads up we've had from other other property landlords elio i don't see how we get to a point where these are attractive enough for me to take that risk right now
2: yeah well that's what it is do you need the uh, stress and hassle in your portfolio when there are so many opportunities elsewhere um brandon i'll go to you one of our smaller stocks from rose uh, definitely buying into this new world that both scott and i have absolutely no idea about It's EM1, Emerge Gaming Limited. Um, Very small little biotech, very tiny company, signing up some contracts in that whole e-sports and e-gaming space. Um, We can't give it any guidance in regards to fundamentals because they look terrible. So I'm not going to bother Scott or myself with it. But in terms of price action, what are you seeing here? Because it has had a rally uh, in recent times. It's gone up quite strongly. A Little bit of a pullback. But um, is that just a healthy uh, breather or uh, something to, that might be a little bit more sinister?
1: Yeah, look, I've just, I was looking at the, that the other day. It's come off, well, come on, it's actually rallied up quite nicely off that six cent mark. Now that rally up is a bit different to what's happened previously. It was back in, was it February 19 when it was a bit of euphoria. You can really see that the FOMO, fear of missing out, driving price higher. And it drove it all the way up to sort of that four cent mark. Now the rally up, no, lately, since about May, it's been fairly it's been a lot more constructive. If you have a bit of a push higher, a bit of a pullback, get supported, you know, buyers support it, it pushes back up again. The most recent higher low is around that two cent mark. So for me, where it's coming back to now, I wouldn't want to see it come back too much more. Uh, if it's gonna hold and if it's gonna have, have a run through four cents. It needs to sort of hold around the two, two and a half cent mark. If you can hold around there and you can start to see that a bit of volume ticking again and the momentum start to lift, um, yeah, I think it could break through those highs at three cents and start to look to four. And that's where, you know, if you're going to buy for that short, if you're going to enter now, if you're not long already, but if you're going to enter now, you'd be looking quite closely at that four cent mark to see what happens. If it it starts to see a sharp rejection off that level, that's where the concern is going to be. Um, Otherwise, if it starts to power through, then, you know, you're on the right side.
2: Yeah, which will be obviously uh, pretty interesting uh, to see how that uh, uh, plays out. Um, Kevin asked about our best picks from the high-yield ETF market and the high-growth ETF market. Now, um, obviously, NDQ came from Scott. Uh, That's definitely right up that growth angle. So we're going to go with that one there. And with the income, look, obviously, it's a challenging environment for many income players. We know that income as a factor investing style has underperformed the broader All Ordinaries Index. So rather than trying to pick the eyes out of it, just go with a Vanguard one. VHY is their code. It's the high-income yielder uh, ETF that they have. Yes, it's got all the names that you know in it. Yes, it doesn't uh, look too dissimilar from what the uh, All Ordinaries Index and the S&P ASX 200 have done. That's because they tend to be the dividend payers. But Vanguard's a reputable organisation, and you know um, that you'll uh, get what you pay for when it comes to an ETF there. So, Kevin, uh, that may very well uh, work out for you. I'm um, just going to um, have a look at here. Ah, oh, Okay. Um, now, I'm sorry if I uh, mispronounce uh, your name here, sorry, uh, Tuyat, uh, oh, sorry, Tuvathnana, so apologies if I've mispronounced that, but a company that I know very well, and I'm sure you do too, Scott, it's RAISE, R-Z-I. Uh, the company has a nifty little app, basically takes a few cents out of every purchases, uh, purchase you make, collates it at the end of the month, deposits it into an ETF. Are you familiar with RAISE yourself, and uh, what's your views on it?
0: I am, mate. I've got to say, I think this is one of the great sleepers of the financial services industry, possibly even the share market. That doesn't mean necessarily he's going to wake up. And so my concern right now, <laughs> if you, I'm going to bundle all these together. You take the Sweep apps, so the acorns of the world that became raise, uh plenty of others, kind of throw robo-advisors on top of that. The kind of idea of automating finance is an idea that took years to turn up and then arrived and still kind of gone nowhere. Um, yeah. You know, the likes of Robin Hood and Stake when it comes to free brokerage, they're kind of working, but the idea of kind of the automating your, your, your personal finance hasn't yet really hit the big time. The tech is there, plenty of people out there trying to get it done. I could name half a dozen uh, robo-advice type automation businesses that, you know, Comsec got their pocket app, does something similar. They're all different in different, slightly different ways. But is kind of one of those businesses that I, I look, I kind of hope that that kind of finance automation takes off. But right now, my concern is it may well end up being a gunner company because the whole industry may well just fizzle out, right? An idea that, you know, whose time is, in theory, was well overdue, but they haven't yet been able to capture the public imagination in a really, really meaningful way. It started as a sweep app, then it became a deposit regularly and we'll buy you some ETFs. Um, Again, it's kind of... It's, it's, it's a great idea, and I'm really glad it's out there for people who want to use it, and who can get some real value out of it, particularly the habit creation stuff for personal finance, really, really important. But as yet, hasn't really been able to show meaningful traction, customer growth, really decent fund growth. So, it's it, look, for me, it's still a bit of a gunner, and I have to say, at some point, you just look at a company like that and say, I don't need to get in there yet, and... I don't know what's gonna happen sentiment-wise, that's very much Bradden's area, not mine, but um, this one I'd happily leave until they actually started to deliver some meaningful results. And at that point, you've probably got plenty of time. This thing could have an extra zero on the end of the share price, quite honestly, if it's really able to capture that zeitgeist. But I think it's a harder hill to climb than previously. I had thought, and I would imagine, than RAISE had thought, You know, build it, and they will come. They're not coming yet. Uh, and so that's my biggest concern. So I would be staying away from RAISE, but I would keep it on a short list. And as in when you start to see that traction turn to real numbers for funds under management, profitability, um, that sort of stuff can really, really take off fast. So it's one you want to keep a close eye on. But I don't yet see the clear indication that's worth your investment dollars. When, as you said earlier, there are so many other options around.
2: Well, look, Toy uh, Vathana. Look, the, the the thing is too, they've got their overseas expansion. They're getting into Malaysia. They're going to try to make uh, make hay of it in Asia. And the early adoption's good, but of course. When you start from nothing, those first steps are always quite big ones. So it'll be interesting whether they can get the scale there. And, uh, yeah, echo Scott's comments exactly. Brad, and before we get your two stocks to help us see the light on, Metals Tech, MTC, little Slovakian business uh, with gold as well. Pretty good intercepts um, that they've been drilling through recently. Really interesting looking share price. One of those uh, stairs types, you know, it sort of goes on a tear and then sort of you know, jumps around sideways and then pops up and then jumps around sideways and pops up. Uh, looks like it's a nice orderly uh, pattern. What sort of levels would you be helping? Um, it, it's a Small Caps ASX. So they asked me on Twitter. So I'll use that Twitter name they gave me. Oh, yeah. Small Caps ASX asks, MTC, what's our view in regards to uh, the company and uh, key levels?
1: I think you're right. It, it is a bit of a stair step. We've had that um, back in November, it sort of popped up and then it went sideways, consolidated, ran up again through 10 cents to 20, then went sideways again. But it's continually, you can see by well, that sort of stair step motion, it's continually holding higher levels, which is a really good sign. It's whether um, this bit of a pullback back down through 20, I would expect it's going to hold around that 20 zone, but it may I mean looking at the previously moves, the previous moves from, you know, from April till was it around April 20. Yep. Till so it ran up through 20 cents. It may have still some work to do, and just to convince some buyers that okay, this is the level to start buying off. Around around that 20 cent mark, sort of my bet. If it can hold up around there and start to put in some work, and you see the volumes um, start to lift again. I mean, it's only done about a quarter of a mil at the moment. Mm. If it can start to hold there and chop around sideways for a bit, then I'll be looking for that rally on a bit of back on, on the back of some volume as well. But, yeah, I think it's prime, that area, if we can hold around 20, it's going to look really good.
2: Uh, great, excellent. Thank you very much for that. But uh, don't go away yet, though, mate, because it's now time for you to step up to the plate oh. and give us your best swing. We need two stocks to help <laughs> us see the line on, stocks that, again, remembering folks, uh, we're going to hear about them, we're going to hear the narrative, and then we're going to toddle off and do our own research to see if they apply to us uh, and relative, relative to our objectives and risk tolerance, of course. So, uh, Braddon, take it away. What two stocks do you want to help us uh, see the light on?
1: All right, I kick it off with BGA, Bega, Bega Cheese. Yep. Um, I've, we've been in this before, and it's, um, it gave us some little profits. But what I do like is the fact that back when um, the markets were getting hit back in March, that four-dollar level proved really resilient, and you could see the buyers were really sticking around there, and they were really soaking it up. So. It didn't get the sell off like I would have expected. So, to me, that's a bit of a line in the sand, that forward level. And since then, it's popped up to 550. And then it's had a bit of a run back down. You get that selling pressure coming back down. But now we're starting to see it soaked up at a high level, which is a good little sign that's a bit of accumulation there. Um, people are interested in it around that, was it around 430, 435, thereabouts. So, what I'd be looking at here to try to enter, I mean, it's mainly to do that longer term weekly chart. I like the position where it is. I like that, you know, they've sellers have really pushed it down, but buyers are happy to soak it up at a higher level, uh, really putting their foot down at that level there. So if we can get a bit of a pop-up through 475, maybe 480 or so, and then look to see what happens on that first pullback if on the lower time frame daily chart. Now, if it starts to hold up and it starts to, you know, show some signs it's going to go up again, I think there will be a nice little entry for a push up through 550 and beyond, hopefully. Hey. So that's the first one. Um, And the next one is um, our old favourite, BNPL, OPY. So I've been watching this one for the sheer fact that everyone's um, loving the BNPLs at the moment. OPY, of
2: course, being open pay, folks, for those playing along at home. Open pay,
1: yep. So if you're looking at, I mean, you just don't have to worry about a a longer-term weekly chart, but looking at the daily, back in June, it's had a good run-up. It had that pop-up to, you know, from around the dollar mark up to 4 and then it pulled back and held that $2 level. And it's a really nice, you know, that for me, really nice price action. It's had to go again, uh, tried to go. So anyone that's wanting to sell it that didn't get an opportunity at four, I think was cleaned out around that $3 mark. But what you saw then was the buyer step back in towards uh, two and started holding up. So that action there over the next few days is what I want to see now. Uh, so we've had that run up from about, was it 240 or thereabouts, 230 They that mm-hmm. pop up to five. And it seems to be repeating itself what it did back in June, early July. So for me, if we can start to hold up, I don't really want to see it pushed down through 3.50 too much. I mean, as long as it holds up around the 3.40 mark, if we start to hold up there and we see that volume start to tick higher again and start to see um, buyers get enthusiastic, a move up through 4 would be prime for me and I'll be looking for some sort of um, entry through there. So that's the one I like and I think that could really take out the $5 level and just see how it goes from there. But yeah, they're the two for me.
2: No, thank you very much, Brandon. So, David, hopefully that answers half of what your question was. And uh, with regards to Split It that you asked about, watch yesterday's episode because we talked about the stock right there. But for today, that's all we have time for. So uh, thank you very much to our great mate, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Thank you for your participation this afternoon. Thanks, mate. And thank you, Braddon Gardner from Trade Direct 365. Cracking first run, mate. Well done.
1: (laughs) Did well for the new guy. Thanks very Uh, much.
2: (laughs) And uh, I'll have Braddon's details on spotty.com.au, not too far down the track if you want to read more about his background and the company that he represents. Joining us tomorrow after a long hiatus will be Rudy Philippeck Van Dyke from FN Arena and Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities. Thanks again to our sponsors, ShareWealth Systems, for agreeing to keep the lights on. And remember to go to sharewealthsystems.com to see their new website and learn how they help investors every single day. Thanks again to Ticker for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Mike, for for, uh, pushing all the right buttons. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robo Show, which is coming up next. Until tomorrow, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Have fun, everyone.